Thank you for listening to this chapel message, originally presented at Clark Summit University in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. With more than 70 on-campus and online programs, Clark Summit University prepares Christ-centered, career-ready graduates to make a difference around the world. We hope this is an encouragement to you today. I'm going to take you to Psalm 36. Psalm 36. When we engage in church work, and I'm going to say when we preach, I think your title said that, but this is for everyone who's a Christian. Uh, What are some things we need to think about or have in the back of our minds about ourselves and about the people? I meant what I said about loving people, but I also know they can can be trouble at times. Uh, What about the people? And then what should be my version, and everybody has their personal version of God. I remember one of my favorite preachers, Oswald Huffman, Lutheran Hour, he would say, God, God, what should be your picture? Psalm 36, the ABCs I'm going to talk about of, of, of life and what we should, what should be my heart, please, if you're not going to preach just think about it. The pastors are here, so there I'm talking to them. But in any, what should be my heart when I make plans, when I decide who to date? What should I know when I'm out alone with someone? Uh, Psalm 36 starts with an interesting phrase, and these are the ABCs of preaching. Now, I like basketball. I know the ABCs, you know, guarding, get down, rebounding, setting picks for your friends so they'll set picks for you. I know uh, the ABCs of, of baseball a little bit, you know, keeping your eye on the ball, uh, fielding, and uh, uh, obviously knowing the signs and, and knowing when it's yours. Uh, rugby, uh, I still don't know what they do in rugby. I'm, I'm still trying to figure that one out. These are the ABCs of dating and of life and of preaching and of... And he starts off... This chapter, I want to remind you, because I wish I knew more. I wish I could help. I pray, uh, give some money. The Ukraine ought to be in the back of our minds, I think, these days all the time, or at least in our prayers. It's just unbelievable what people will do to people. It's, it's a reminder uh, that everybody, has, everybody is a spirit, that's what it means to be made in the image of God, that we're spiritual, and those people are. I mentioned the other day that some of the finest Christians I've ever met, I met in my two-week time in Ukraine, and I know some of them are the people suffering or even dead. It's awful. I used to show pictures of our grandchildren, and I put one in, and that's my wife on the left, just so you know I'm married. And two grandchildren, two girls, 20, 21, 23, 25, I love them. And I want for them an understanding of the ABCs of life. And he starts off with a very confusing statement to commentators, to scholars, of which I'm not, but I, I read them. An oracle was, is within my heart. And the best translation I could come up from this is, this thing really grips me. Or... This is big. You guys, this is big. 
You better understand this. An oracle is within a heart. A prophecy is stuck in there. One commentator, a scholar of Hebrew, said, a prophecy is within me and it's strong. What is it? That's what he does. Verse 1. Concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For in his own eyes, verse 2, look at that. He flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. Huh? This is the human being. Okay, he says the wicked, but this is me. This is you on the dark side of our hearts, on the wicked side of our sinfulness. And he says of us, we love ourselves. You see that? There is no fear of God before his own eyes. He doesn't naturally, he doesn't come out of the womb, he doesn't in grade school think, I need to love God. This is you, this is me, this is I. There is no fear of God before his eyes. In his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. I had an older brother, and he was that way. I was not going to be that way, but then he taught me. You did too, some of you. First four-letter word you ever said, mine. Nobody ever had to go to grade school or kindergarten to learn to lie. Do you remember your first lie? You probably had tears in your eyes after you said it. Our daughter did. I remember when she told me a lie. Nobody ever had to tell us how to be selfish. Mine. People still do it when they're 50. There is a wickedness within us. It is our bent. It happened ever since Adam and Eve. and We all sinned in our own garden. There's a wickedness about us. So if I'm doing church work, I need to know that I can do really selfish things. So can you. You need to know that if you're dating, even though you have these high standards morally, you can blow it. You can ruin yourself. You can start down a path that just is hard to back up on. Why? Because the psalmist is saying, something grips me about myself and about all of us. No fear of God. We don't naturally say, I want to worship God with all my heart. We're taught things, and we turn our hearts. And I think it's very important in life to admit, I am a sinner. I am, by myself, wicked. I know what conversion is. You do too. But even then, we can slide back. In my heart dwells no good thing. Everybody in the room starting with your president and me, and including everyone here, would be embarrassed if we put all the thoughts of our life on a screen every Sunday at church. I need to admit that, and I need to live that way, not hiding, not crawling, but just knowing I need to abide in Christ. Is that you? If you try to do this stuff on your own, you try to just obey the rules of the college or someday of the church or of your wife or your husband, you will fall. The psalmist isn't happy at this point. I realize that. There's not much good news yet. 
What is behind the Chicago shootings? I live just an hour from Chicago. The same thing that's behind church splits sometimes. The same thing that's behind gossip. Only they have guns to prove it. We are sinful beings in my heart, in yours. That's the first part of this oracle. And verse 2, this is why we have services. This is why you read the Bible. You do read it. We can miss this stuff. We can think I was right. We all know how hard it is to admit we're wrong at times. And the psalmist is explaining why. It's the large problem. I coach churches in most cases, and I've said it to some. This goes back to sin. This doesn't go back to conviction. Or I beg you to just guard your heart and know in the next couple of verses, he says, there's no fear of God. He flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. A baby starts with selfishness. It is the goal of parents to turn them as they're old enough to the Lord and to what's right and what's true. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, just look at your thought life. We can miss it in our own hearts, and there's good news coming, absolutely. Okay. The next couple of verses, he has ceased to be wise and to do good. He plots evil. Look at verse 3. The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. Whoa. He has ceased to be wise and to do good, even on his bed. He thinks about how far he can go with this girl. Or he thinks about what he needs to do to weasel out of a lie he told. This is all of us in our sinfulness. He commits himself to a sinful course and does not reject what is wrong. Even on his bed, which just means even when he's tired and should be sleeping, he's thinking, what can I do to get even? Why did she say that to me? Behind the headlines of politics and you guys, when you play sports, behind you... you Every one of us is a selfish nature that we have to decide, I'm going to turn that another way. Now, what are his actions? He says them there. There's a famous prayer in the Bible. I'm sure you've heard it if you've been in church for a while. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my strength, and my redeemer. How many times, when they were here on earth, you guys, how many times did Jesus go over to Peter and say, Peter, don't talk like that again. You said it again. After the Mount of Transfiguration where they saw our Lord in all his glory, and a couple guys from the Old Testament came and proved that he was the Son of God, on the way down, they're arguing as to which of them was the greatest, Peter, James, and John. And people are still arguing that. And we all do it in our lives if we don't watch it. But, and here we turn, the ABCs of life are to admit that without Christ as my Lord, without Jesus as my Savior, without God's word in my heart, I am... I can be really mean. 
selfish. But, but, my heart can turn. These next verses are so plain. Your love, verse 5, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Whoa. How can I talk about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only being? Your love, well, the psalmist gets it by inspiration from the Holy Spirit, from God. So he's saying this the way God wants him to say it. Your love reaches to the heavens. On your way back to the rest of the campus, say to Siri, how many stars are in the Milky Way? And Siri will say, billions and billions. And then ask Siri, how many galaxies are in the universe? And Siri will again respond, billions and billions. They say it's 93 billion light years, that's 186,000 miles per second. It would take you 93 billion years to get across the universe. And everyone said, whoa. And God's love for sinful Adam and sinful Newt and you is that big. So when we do church work, one of our primary messages is love. His love reaches to the heavens. When I was a child, influenced by a grandmother especially, after my parents' divorce, they taught us to sing, wide, wide is the ocean, high as the heavens above, deep, deep as the deepest sea is my Savior's love. I used to love the song, he knows my name. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you thought last night, and he still loves me because his love is like the universe. I think God put all those stars there, billions and billions of galaxies of stars, just so we'd go, oh, and you love me. Jesus said he knows the hairs on your head. Hello. That means just he really does. If he can do all of that, he can know what everyone in this room is thinking. One great theologian was asked when he got to America, big news conference, they expected some wide and deep answer. What's the greatest thing you've ever learned in the Bible? in your theology, and he said, you know it, some of you, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. What should keep you from doing dumb stuff, selfish stuff? What should keep pastors on the road to holiness and loving people? The love of Jesus Christ. When Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you said it again. Don't do that. Do you love me? It changed Peter from the boisterous, loud mouth of his disciple days in the Gospels to the tender shepherd of 1 Peter 1 and 2 who loved his people. Shepherd the flock of God with care because you have a chief shepherd. And I'm sure he added in his head, who loves you like everything. Some of you have been loved that way by parents. Some of you have not. But you know a little bit of what it means. God's love is like, well, it's like space. He doesn't stop there. He wants us to, to understand, to say the least, God is love. He's like the heavens. It's like space. 
his love, his faithfulness. He says, your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. As strong as it is in space, as much as it means to us that the earth stays where it is in orbit and the sun's there all the time, God's love and faithfulness, he will keep his word. I, I love this picture. It's, 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 somebody sent it to me on the phone. That's Chicago where all those lights are. That's me standing on the other side of the lake back a ways you can see that. Can you see it from the back? Can you see me smiling? That's, that's a picture from just a satellite, but the universe is so much more. The next thing he says, his righteousness, look at it. Your righteousness, verse 6, is like the mighty mountains. Huh? Your holiness, you will do what's right, God. It's like the Rocky Mountains. Now, David knew Mount Horam and a few mountains around him. We've, some of you have flown over the Rocky Mountains, or some of you live near the Alps, maybe, or have been there. That's what his holiness and his correctness is like. Try to push that away. What, whatever Putin's doing, however he will stand in front of judgment someday, his righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Are there any questions? The point is, I could fight him as much as I could move the mountains. And he's saying, that's what his righteousness is like. He'll do what's right. I don't get that right now. I don't think, I wish God would strike Putin. I'll say it out loud. I don't understand it. But I know that in time and related to eternity, God is as he made the mountains just with a flick of his wrist just to say to us I'm correct I do it right I am holy my righteousness is like the mountains do you believe that if you don't you'll get cynical you'll read the headlines and think that's the bible you'll you'll give your heart to be selfish instead of to love people when we serve God and do what's right right now as a freshman or me as an old person I'm serving the God who's, who made the mountains with a flick of his wrist. Let there be the Alps. And there was. Because he said it, it is so. When God split the Red Sea, I think when he made creation, you can disagree if you like. We'll find out I'm right when we get to heaven. Let there be light, and there was light. He didn't have a committee to do it. When he split the Red Sea for the children of Israel to go across to escape the Egyptians, he goes, split. That's the exact word he used. In the Hebrew, it's crush. There are no Hebrew scholars here, so you're going to take that as the truth. He said something, split the Red Sea, because he said it, it is so. And when he says you're forgiven because you trust in Christ as Lord, it is so whether you feel it or not. So if you're in Christ, I hope you are, you've come here to learn more, but you're already there. You believe that when Jesus died on the cross, all your sins, every one of them, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, were attached to him. That doesn't make you want to go ahead with them. It makes you glad and thankful to want to obey him. 
When you believe on Christ, those, that judgment counts for you. Is that sure with you? When your parents say or somebody says to you, I guess I'm being punished for my sins, you've got to say, nonsense. The punishment for sin is death. And when you believe in him and trust him as Savior, as a little child like I did or today or tomorrow, that counts for you and your faith is counted as righteousness. Because you believe in him, God in his sight puts the righteousness of Christ on your name in his books, in his mind. And his righteousness is like the mountains. Whoa! Do you rest in that? And the next phrase says it well, too. He goes through these. The righteousness is like the mountains, and his justice is as deep as the sea. Whoa, how could you say it bigger? I live not far from Lake Michigan, and it's 40 feet deep on the way straight over to Chicago, 90 feet at a couple places, 700 feet when you get out in the middle and go a little north, but if you go to the Pacific Ocean, it's seven miles deep. Hello, seven miles deep. And he's saying this to say, you think, you, you think God can't make everything right someday? His justice is like the, well, it's like the oceans, like the deep. I think the writer of this is David, and I think he's saying, Man, I've seen Sea of Galilee, but that's deep, uh, not very deep. But he's talking about what we think about. People have often asked me as a Christian, and I think sometimes as a pastor, if God's God, if that's so true what you're saying, how's come he allows all this junk in the world, all this evil? That's a good question. I always say that. That's a good question. I wish he would deal with it right away. But I go on to say at the end of time, for sure, he's going to deal with it. And did you know, actually, some people are going to be separated from God. It's called hell. And they almost always have said, why would God do that? Why would God ever send anyone to hell? You just ask me, why doesn't God do something about it? The reason he waits, you may know this, is he'd like everyone to believe and follow Jesus Christ this way. Is that you now? Don't fight him. Just love that he's going to take care of it someday. In 1 Thessalonians, it says that at the end of time, he'll separate the righteous from the unrighteous. Hello, that's related to Christ alone. He's our righteousness. And he'll deal for eternity. His justice is like the deep, way down. The next verses say... uh, how, how priceless is your unfailing love. O oh Lord, end of verse 6. O oh Lord, you preserve both man and beast. And I go, huh? He does. He knows when a sparrow falls. He knows what I'm going through. I don't get it. He's Lord. He could make the mountains and the space. He can take care of me and guide me. It says, how priceless is your unfailing love. Stop a moment. This is the word hesed. It's a Hebrew word that just, they, don't, they struggle to give it enough when they translate it. Loving kindness, it usually is. 
246 times in the Old Testament and New, it says loving kindness or some translation of hesed. It means his mercy. If you've had a good home life, it's how much your mom loves you and your dad and how you will someday love people in your life through offspring. Hesef is what a parent wants to do to care for a child. What a good teacher wants to do at this school to help people do it right. What all of us want to do as pastors when we care. Hesef, how good is his love? 246 times in the Bible to say, this is the way God loves you. Are there any questions? Would you follow him? Would you? Would you be what Christ wants a sophomore or a senior or anyone to be, an adult? You know, his love and his faithfulness are like the skies. Are there any questions? His righteousness is like the mountains. I mean, you're not going to change him. Do what's right. And justice, yeah, it's as deep as the Pacific, seven miles down. You can't get to the bottom of his justice. He's going to take care of it all. He did at the cross, so you don't have to pay for your sins at all. This is what he says, and then in the next verse, or the next part of it, he says, how priceless is your unfailing love. Verse 7, both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of delights. I was at the Mississippi the other day for a funeral, and it was muddy, and I would not want to drink it. But he's talking about a pure river. The heaven is pictured this way. You may have seen it. It's pure river. It's pure water. And Jesus said he's the water of life. All of you have heard the story at church, from church in a Sunday school class. What has four legs? The teacher's asking kids, what has four legs and a bushy tail and jumps from branch to branch? And one little girl finally raised her hand. She says, it sounds an awful lot like a squirrel, but it must be Jesus because everything at church is Jesus. And that's right. His righteousness is like the mountains. The people that got up close to him never saw him do a wrong thing. We're told he never thought a wrong thought. Hello, he's God and man. But everything we say here in the chapel ultimately comes back to Jesus, who helps, who showed mercy. Children ran to sit on his lap. The lepers had a saying among them, he's one of us. Not because he healed them all, but because he loved them all and touched them. He's the one that can help us when we pastor. He's the one that really knows how to shepherd. And he's the one that we talk about all the time. We don't make the sign as much as Catholics do, but we should in the sense in our hearts we let, let ourselves be changed by the cross of Christ. We find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Hello, Jesus Christ is the one. Actually, Paul said of him, everything at church is Jesus. About the rock, you know, that they got the water from? Have you ever studied that? It went with them in the wilderness. I think it went with them 40 years. People differ. 
in Corinthians, Paul says, that rock is Jesus. Oh, Jesus is everywhere. He's the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 that's going to crush the snake someday. He's the Passover lamb in Exodus, so they escape, and we do through him. He's the chief priest in the, the other parts of the Pentateuch. He's, the, he's our Joshua. He's in every book of the Bible. He's, everything is about Jesus, yes. In John chapter 8, when they had the Feast of Thanksgiving or Tabernacles, uh, some say in the commentaries there's 100,000 people, I don't know how, at Jerusalem on that feast day. And the priest lights a torch as a picture of the torch in the Exodus when they cross the desert. And from the back of the room, you hear someone say, I am the light of the world. A little man that, I think, what's he saying? When they poured the water, the priest would pour water from a pitcher, a picture of the water they had in the wilderness. I think it's right at that time that Jesus in John 8 says, if any man's thirsty, let him come to me. And everyone around said, huh? And people still say, huh? But some of us have found in him, in Jesus the Christ, everything through his hesseth, his mercy. A friend of mine wrote a book on mercy, and he said his little girl said, mercy is when your bread's buttered on both sides because she liked butter. In one of the commentaries, he said, it's when somebody owes you nothing and gives you everything. Is that you? Do you live like that in a world that seems hopeless? He closes by saying that we all, because of his loving actions, kindness, merciful love, tender loyalty, if you quit the Christian life, if that's possible, or turn away from Christ, the main thing that will bring you back ought to is his hesed, his love, his mercy. And that's what he says. They'll find refuge in your wings, feast on the abundance from your river, drink from you. We need him. Verse 10 says, continue your love to those who know you your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me. David asked for help. You should, I should ask for help. Now are the hand of the wicked drive me away. See, he finally wins. Jesus wins. The Lord wins. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. Hello, the bats were around Jesus when he died on the cross, the demons and rejoiced for three days, and then he's alive. And right now we're going through times when it seems like God is dead, or times like Ukraine, or maybe you're going through it at your home. But someday, he says, well, I don't know how to say it, but as, the, as, as high as the skies and the universe is his love for you. Don't doubt it. His, he does what's right, and you notice, look at those mountains. Around here we have hills, but I mean huge mountains. 
That's his righteousness. And his justice, well, dive down seven miles if you want to try to get rid of it. He will make everything right someday. This should be an oracle in my heart. Every part of every day I should be thinking, yeah, that's what I am without God. I'm wicked. You are. I need him. And this is how he loves us. Before we sing, let's pray. God, help me believe this. Help us. Help us rest in your mercy only because of Jesus. Help us admit, do it right now in your heart, that without him you are wicked, little ways or big ways, but we need the grace and the hesef, the mercy. Thank you, God, for hearing us. A day at a time. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Clark Summit University's Chapel Series. Visit www.clarksummitu.edu to learn more about CSU. Become a Christ-centered, career-ready graduate through on-campus and online degree programs. Look for us on social media, at Clark Summit U, and share your feedback. 